If if Georgia, if I if like I didn't have to worry about them closing out games, I would absolutely say Georgia Tech. Yeah, I, um, they have issues with that though, and they shouldn't with such an experienced team, but they do. Um, but yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> they look way more like one to me because, like you said, they're more balanced. Their offense, their offense is actually twentieth in the country. Wow! In Ken Palm, which I would d- do not get the sense of necessarily while watching them play. <laughs> Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow, and this week I definitely wanted to talk some Louisville just to kind of, Lord knows, figure out. You can't figure out the rest of the league anyway, so you know, figure out what's going on with them. And I know this guest watches plenty of other ACC hoops, and we've had him on before. So, hi, Mark Ennis from 939 The Ville in Louisville has a show there in the afternoon that he will be starting not long after we record this. Hi, Mark. Hi, Lauren. It's good to, to talk to you. Don't you? I, I liked the joke, uh, you know, laughing at yourself about like figuring out the league. I think Luke and I uh, have talked about this a number of times. Luke Hancock and I like have given up on it. And I have decided to basically treat this whole basketball season like it's the whole league is just one big coastal division this year. I mean, it's kind of true, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, is Florida State no... Clemson in this analogy or not even? Uh, yeah, they, they really are. Well, they kind of are, though. Jeez, they look good. They kind of are, but they're like Clemson before Clemson fully turned the corner, maybe. They're Kevin Steele Clemson. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like the, a Clemson that would lose to uh, Syracuse. You know, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, this is I mean, a one season yeah. long Thursday night loss at Clemson. Yeah, you're right, or at Syracuse. Right. Yes. I mean, without their you know, quarterback, but that's, that's a different sport to be fair. So it's not really the same analogy, but yes, they've looked very good. And Clemson football doesn't play all its games at home through just, you know, the, I was going to say the luck, but I'm sure Florida state would argue the unluck uh, with two COVID pauses now of the draw there. <laughs> but I bet you if anyone in this league though, if anyone in the league could play all their games at home, it would be Florida state. Holy cow. Right. If you they cannot win there. Can you imagine if the NCAA tournament had like home court? <laughs> that Florida State would be gold. They, I mean, they are, and it's so weird to see a. Uh, this is just like total like preamble stuff, but it's so weird to see a team emerge all of the sudden with this random home court advantage at an arena that really, like, typically you've not thought of as like a objectively tough place to play, but all of the sudden in the last what three years. Basically, since what RJ Barrett hits the three out of the uh, out of the timeout at the end to win that game, do they ever lose there anymore? I will argue it's always been sneaky tough to play there, partially because um, I think they were like selling alcohol before almost anyone else was. <laughs> well, it is Florida, so <laughs> what could possibly so, be illegal there? So it wasn't tough, right? <laughs> it wasn't tough for everybody to play there, but certainly, like when you were a big name opponent going there, it was sneaky tough because like the fans would show up for that. And be loud and drunk. And yeah. And obviously they have a great band, great cheerleaders, second, well, cheerleaders, dance team, excuse me. It's not the same thing. Um, oh, you're going down, Lauren. Lauren's canceled. You called them I cheerleaders. Said second best. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I was going to say, I thought this was a, I thought this was a ladybirds thing. And in no way am I throwing ladybird shade here. Um, are they still, are they going to games? I guess they are. Are they? Uh, are no, they? no, they're, they're oh. not at games this year. Yeah. That is awful. I hate that. Everyone's suffering this year. Everyone. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's because they, I, I heard somebody comment on the fact that FSU has the band there and they're like, it makes me feel a little weird. And I was like, I get it. It is an aerosolized virus transmission. I virus. cannot wait. I truly cannot wait to not notice just like groups of people larger than like seven. Dude, anywhere. right? I've only, it took me months into this whole thing. To not be bothered by it on shows and movies I was watching. Oh, and it does stick out too. And, and you know, since this is going to be an ACC podcast uh, about basketball, I think you'd <laughs> probably agree with me. There is no sport that more depends on the environment and the like, the emotional investment of, of fandom to really bolster like the product itself. 
know, because college yeah. basketball objectively is super bad basketball. Like it's not great, but the crowds and then like the life or death nature of fans really redeems almost all of it. You know, and Louisville, Kentucky was 62 59 this year and everyone would have left that game exhausted if it had been a regular game, but with a small, you know, uh, capacity crowd allowed in there, it was boring. You're like, geez, these guys don't make anything. But like, <laughs> if fans were there, it would be amazing. Uh, and so like that has been coming on the heels of the Super Bowl where the Super Bowl and the NFL, really the NFL is made for TV now uh, versus college basketball. It really is kind of stark and I cannot wait for all of it to be over. Yeah, it's, it, it has been, I think Duke Carolina was honestly the first time it really hit me in the gut this yeah. year. Although even my first Duke home game watching, I was like, this is weird and I don't like it. Well, when I watched early in the year, when I watched Illinois, just like bully them, and I, yes. there was nothing about that game that I was like, this is not Cameron. This is not no. Duke. This is not college basketball. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That's where it's definitely been the starkest. And that's probably the place I've missed the most, which I know sounds crazy to some of you on the outside. And I understand why. But there's nothing like covering a game there because you hear and see so much more than you do at other places. Like, it's on my list. I've never covered a game there. I've never gone to a game as a fan. There, so it's still on my list. Like you can hear players talk to each other sometimes, you know, like it's. Well, now we can hear them all yell and one. <laughs> was that you that tweeted that? Like that, that it, like you were. Uh, I had no idea. That yeah. They did this this much. <laughs> I, I, I jokingly, cause I don't really want to do this and I don't care that guys yell and one for real, but I did jokingly tweet that like, I, it would be funny if they instituted some kind of penalty for yelling and one if you either A, don't make the basket, um, maybe you get it wiped off, if you, or maybe you don't get free throws if you don't make the basket, and B, if you miss the free throw, because you didn't get your N1, sir. <laughs> it's like a bulk, right, if you do that? Yeah, I like that <laughs> idea. I like it. I, I, I don't know, and if you listen, you can just edit this out is a problem but I, I didn't know and one was a big thing and i didn't know that every either like really kind of aggressive rebound or really aggressive block shot the guys just yell you that shit i didn't know that <laughs> yeah 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 that's the best you do hear random swears even on the broadcast now that you're like i remember a time when the announcers would have felt fit to acknowledge that but now they probably can only barely hear it like us I have, I have, you know, on the radio, I have enjoyed, you know, uh, when I have play-by-play guys on, you know, just kind of pulling them. Some of them are either farther away than they normally would be, you know, and when they're in the arena, some of them are not in the arena. Yeah. Uh, and, and just how much harder, and, and let's just be realistic, how much worse uh, the broadcasting product, unfortunately, is to keep those guys safe. So I don't begrudge ESPN or anybody for doing this, but you just, the difference is everywhere. And if, uh, I know like Joe, well, obvious is forever thinking and talking about TV ratings and that sort of thing. I'm positive that just the, the fact that you can't hide that this is not what it normally is on the broadcast is at least some kind of contributing factor to why ratings are what they are. I think people don't, there's a fr- there's a, a population of people who just don't want to watch this if it reminds them that life is still not normal. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think in the beginning we were eager to have any sports and now it's just become, okay. This is too weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And rating ratings have been down, I think, for sports just in general during this whole thing. I think because, you know, every so many things have been going on and people are just like, I'd rather doom scroll um, <laughs> or binge Netflix or whatever it is that people do to cope or drink alcohol or all of them at the same time, like me. Exactly. I can doom scroll with a drink with the best of them. Yeah, while watching a meaningless Netflix series. <laughs> That's right. What have we been? Wa- we've been watching a you. Okay, we w- we really will get to hoops and, and we'll make it quick. But I've, we've been watching a, a Ewan McGregor. I forget what it's called. It's like this series where he went around on on motorcycle with like his friends, and they went like around the world to different places. And we've been. It's like the perfect background show because you don't have to pay super close attention. But it's it's like yeah, that's that's our latest like binge show right now on Apple TV. <laughs> that is a kind of a funny thing for, for more people to realize. Uh, when I like, uh, you're talking about a background show. I yeah. never realized just how much I, especially with kids, like this happens. But like, oh, yeah. I listen, I listen to shows way more than I watch shows, and oh, I, I sure. found myself like scrolling through Netflix and that sort of thing. Uh, 
in the past, I would have watched a lot of shows that are foreign with subtitles, and now I'm just like, I can't do that because I'm not yes. watching. I'm just going to listen to it while I wash dishes or whatever else I'm doing. Yes. Might I suggest The History of Square Words if you haven't seen it? Okay. I'll That's do a that. great background show. I mean, <laughs> Lots of ACC hoops talk already. So sorry, everyone. But this is why you come here. I get it. But you know what? The great thing is we've neglected nothing. <laughs> yes, seriously. Um, y'all know my compulsion here. I like to go in order for the weekend. And oh boy, Syracuse, Georgia Tech. Oh, Jim, Grumpy Jim Bayheim is my favorite Jim Bayheim. And boy, was he grumpy after the Duke game. Um, <laughs> yes, you call him Grumpy Jim Bayheim. Is there another Jim Bayheim? And I'm not, like, I mean that. Like, he is always uh, grumpy and. Uh, he's officially like, you know, your grandfather who really just didn't care to yeah. just say the rudest stuff ever, uh, you know, like at Christmas or get togethers or whatever. Like he's that for the entire league. He'll just say it. It was, unra- it was amazing last week when he said what he said about Jalen Johnson, which had some truth to it, to be fair, like that he was hurting them, blah, blah, blah. It, you know, and then he's like, when asked about it, that like after Syracuse's next game, he's like, Hey, what did he say? He goes, I haven't watched them. <laughs> yeah. So here's, so I want to ask you, I'm kind of curious, you know, you're closer to, to the, where Duke physically is. Your sense of why Beheim said that. And what I mean, I mean he, is, do you, do, yeah. is that, did he accidentally spill some conversation that he had with Coach K or is this coaches talking to each other about Duke? And he's like, that's what they're saying to each other. What did he do there? That's I, I honestly somehow, and I'm embarrassed by this, hadn't even thought of that angle. But it's definitely possible because he and Kay are very close. Yeah. But I also don't necessarily know how much Kay is like actively chatting with Jim Bayheim about stuff like that. So I have no idea. And I also think it's just as likely that Jim Bayheim literally checked box scores and was like, Oh yeah, look at Duke now. Yeah. <laughs> so- there's well, no and it, it would be very much a coach to be like, well, there's a problem there. It's got to be one of these players. <laughs> it's not Coach K. Yeah, although apparently Jim Beheim oddly feels like his problem is a player that uh, is the only good defensive player they have and one that he just refuses to play more in uh, Kadari Richmond, um, yeah. which is puzzling. <laughs> you know, there are, there's a couple of coaches in this league and their programs that are just sort of stuck that like, yep. I'm I'm big fans of, and, and I know we're going to go in order, so I'm not trying to break you out. No, no, no I, it's like, fine. Mike Bray in Notre Dame, Jim Beheim in Syracuse, in particular those two, and then to a lesser extent, uh, Jim Laranega in Miami. Like perpetually have like six and a half to seven guys and perpetually sort of within arms-ish distance from the bubble. After being a nice run just a couple of years ago, all three of them seem to be in pretty good places. And then now, uh, you're like, why are they perpetually sort of uh, like they're, they're they're pulling an all nighter to make the NCAA tournament? And I don't know what's happened in all three of those places that it's like. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And some of it maybe is like, I'm old. I'm not doing anything else. This is just what I'm. Do- I'm not Mike Bray. Mike Bray's not old. Um, but yeah, Jim is just like this is the way I do things. I guess sometimes I wonder if he's actively trolling Syracuse fans. Like, let's just see what they'll take. Right, like. All right, y'all want him to play more? Well, he's not, because I'm the boss. Screw y'all. <laughs> I mean, I've watched him. You know, I'm, you've done you know your fair share of like post game pressers. He's you know post game presser like it's amazing. Like he's incredibly combative with like his own local media in Louisville. So like Mike Waters and the people that cover Syracuse were in Louisville last year for that game, and he just like roasts all of them and just like arguing the hell out of with, with, with all of them that yep. traveled you know hundreds mm-hmm. of miles to cover the game. Uh, you know, when you are a guy who had like NCAA penalties and you announce like a succession plan and then you basically <laughs> just wait out the president, AD and coach in waiting, you could probably yeah. do feel a little like bulletproof, like well, really, oh, sure. really can happen to me. <laughs> and I'm sure he, he operates that way. And that dude and Jim got COVID as like the oldest coach in the league. I think he's the oldest coach in the league. It's, it's him or Jim Larnega. And he's a cancer uh, survivor, too. Yeah, and because he's like actually in freakishly good shape, I remember that story a few years ago about how he does like Pilates. Um, like, yeah, he was he was fine. He had a very mild case, thankfully, because I was very concerned when I heard that news. 
If I had a power rank coaches in the ACC that I thought did Pilates, he would he would be much lower than it turns out he actually is. Right, he would be like less, probably easily. Well, maybe not less, but close to it, like you said. Um, oh, I love Syracuse Georgia Tech is um, an ACC uh, face shield showdown. <laughs> I thought the like the maybe the the best COVID colored moment of the entire season was was Passner spiking. Oh my god! The, the face shield, bending it up, and then having to coach the rest of the game in it. And I like I, I don't ever, um, I never ever cease to sort of get you know just make fun of him. He's just such a comic book character, kind of looking person, and yes. it seemed just seemed very passionate to not have a backup face. Oh, for sure. And I love Ken Segura's tweet from the AJC: uh, "The face shield is down the shapen," and I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to forget that tweet because I cry laughed and immediately turned on the game. And I'm glad I did because the end of that game was very entertaining. Um, but yeah, it just, Josh Pastner is so easy to make fun of and you can't even fully explain it. Um, but he just is. I wonder if he got made fun of a lot as a kid because then I'm going to feel kind of bad. <laughs> I feel like he's also the coach that the other ACC coaches make fun of. Oh, to- like I could totally imagine him like trying to have some really earnest like pregame conversation with Jim Beheim, and then Beheim texting Kay later like this year, this freaking this, guy, this yeah. freaking guy again yeah. <laughs> with his <laughs> oh, it's just the best. He's so uh, earnest in like a yes. dorky way, and so dorky. And, and let's and and to be serious though, for a minute, they they should be better than they are. That's my. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I was having the, I've had this conversation on there a couple of times. If Louisville had Moses right, they would be awesome. Like, yeah. like they, he's so incredibly athletic. Like they've got guys, uh, and they play pretty nice defense on a, on a regular basis. I have no idea what happened the first two games. I still cannot explain. If they hadn't had games. those, they'd be in the tournament. Like, That's no right. problem. Yeah. And they are capable of, you know, they beat Florida State. Uh, and then Louisville beats them by like twenty one, you know, before their COVID pause. Like they don't make they don't make any sense. They are it, like we're just going to shake it up and it, like yeah, we're just going to pour these dice out and see what happens this game. Like there's no continuity with them. They are a different team every time. It's bizarre uh, to me. Uh, and so the like, don't ask me to pick that game. I don't know. No, I'm not going to. I was going to say both of these teams are kind of that way because you know obviously Duke's playing very well, but I didn't expect Syracuse to play as poorly as it did yeah. against Duke and. I just, I mean, it's okay to say this. Like, the zone is trash. It's just garbage. It's garbage. I hate it's, watching it. It's so bad. And the thing is, like, okay, play the zone. But if you're not going to play Kadari Richmond, who has length and athleticism, like, what are we doing here? Well, it looks, it just looks, just like you were saying, it looks lazy. Yes. Uh, when you do, there's nothing strategic about it. It's like, there's nothing worse than having this feeling that your coach is like, look, we're going to do what we do. If we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. Like, no, yep. dude, I, I, that, that makes me crazy. And it do, you do get that feeling uh, sometimes. And it was one of the – Chris Mack's getting better about this. Uh, they didn't get their Syracuse games uh, this year. But there was nothing more enjoyable about Rick Pitino at Louisville than the fact that, for whatever reason, like he just had the sheet code for Bayheim in that defense. Like Louisville always just ate that zone alive. Uh, and it was always fun to just sort of watch him get punished for the sort of – rolling the ball out and doing the same thing again, but he's going to do it to the end. It feels like this is an NCAA tournament elimination type of game for these teams to me. I mean, I'm not saying that like they would, neither of them would have a shot if they lost it, but it, it feels like that to me for both of them, honestly. Which of those teams feels like as you've watched them, like you watch them feels like a team that at least would belong in the tournament. Cause I feel like it's Georgia tech. I do underachieve, but the, like the roster and their, their best moments. I'm like, okay, there it is. That, I see. If, it. if Georgia, if I, if like, I didn't have to worry about them closing out games, I would absolutely say Georgia. Yeah, I, um, I believe it. They have issues with that though, and they shouldn't with such an experienced team, but they do. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> they look way more like one to me because, like you said, they're more balanced. Their offense, their offense is actually 20th in the country. Wow. In Ken Palm, which I would d- do not get the sense of necessarily while watching them play. That's true. I agree. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, so yeah, it, it does feel like that. They do still have a game against Duke left on the schedule, and that would obviously be, you know, better 
I mean, they're both at home, but that'd be a better win probably in the eyes of the committee than Syracuse. But this just feels like the type of game that they need to win. And, you know, what what is Syracuse basketball if not living on the bubble anyway? So That's what I'm saying. It's been perpetually been several years where uh, it is the equivalent of like just like a random coastal game to anyone that like not in first place. I give no idea what's going to happen. And it, it, nothing like it would, it would not shock me to just check the scores because I probably won't watch them. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And see the Syracuse hit like 13 threes and one by 12. Right. It's just, and it's that simple for them, really. Like, if they don't hit them, they're not going to win. And I was yep. going to say, speaking of games I won't watch, oh, Miami at Clemson at two o'clock. Oh, good. It's not, it's an ACC network extra. So I don't, I couldn't watch it anyway. Um, yeah, I'm not watching that. Um, Miami, I feel like the pluckiness they have shown at times is, is out the window now. And I get it. <laughs> Yeah, well, they you know they beat Louisville, uh, and that was a kind of a wake up call for Louisville. Who played pretty well after that, but since then, Miami's been in the tank. They beat Duke. Well, that's true. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, they are extremely shorthanded. They play uh, you know super slow down on purpose. You know, they don't they don't play any man to man defense hardly at all because of it. You know, like it's very cautious. And then, like, if it wins, it wins. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, Clemson, at least, had the COVID pause. They have an identity. They had the random post COVID games where they're like, we suck at defense. And then they have totally gotten back, you know, to who they are. And maybe a good illustration of like that, probably the normalist way COVID pauses go for teams where you stop and you sort of have to start over. And it took them a little while to get into shape. But they are a suffocating defensive team. And I, it, it does feel to me like they would, this will be a game that they win comfortably over Miami. That geez, Miami really doesn't have it. It's, it's crazy. I think Miami and Carolina and I think Miami, Carolina and Duke, I believe are the only three teams that haven't had a pause. Um, yeah, that's right. But Miami has like its entire roster injured. So it really <laughs> hasn't mattered. By the way, I, it's somewhere buried deep on my Twitter timeline, but um, Jim Bay, or Jim Bay, God. Jim Laranega um, exiting the uh, ACC teleconference this week and kind of like weirdly disappearing and reappearing in, in the view of the camera was like my favorite thing this week. Um, Old men operating Zoom. It's, it has, <laughs> you know, it's been, that's COVID. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's been the whole year of this. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very funny. Um, so, yeah, that's really all we need to say about that game because gross. Um, also, two o'clock. Uh, well, sorry, I won't watch this one either. Um, speaking of giving up, Notre Dame at Boston College. I guess Boston College is still doing this. I didn't. I wasn't sure if they play again. I had a feeling that if there was anybody that wouldn't, you know, that it would be. Uh, I've never seen anything uglier than administration at your own schools. Like you still have to play with with four guys. Then fire coach with just a couple of weeks left when you gain nothing. It's not like. Do you think they fired him because of that? Because I, I actually at the time was like bold move by Jim Christian to like publicly criticize his administration when he's um, already almost fired. Well, I think it was it was a symptom of, of obvious kind of yeah. discord uh, there. But then you sort of compounded it with uh, well, Winston Tab gets suspended for violating school protocol and then they go on calls. So yep. it, it seemed like it was obvious that there was sort of everyone knew what was coming. And I think he sort of forced their hand. And if so, by the way, if he knew he was going to get fired, I mean, good for him. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't know how you feel about this. I agree with the sentiment, like the sort of the overall, like, geez, that's gross, you know, to do that, uh, to fire him when they did and everything. But at the same time, I was surprised. Like, are we this worked up about Boston College and Jim Christian? Who, you know, when, when Martin German over the summer or last year at the end of the season was basically like, no, we're going to stick with him because it's really not easy to hire a coach right now. You remember yeah. that? Like, like, yeah, yeah. Know, like, like we knew this was coming. And so I was in agreement with like the sentiment, but surprised at the, the volume of the response to Jim Christian getting fired at Boston. Yeah. I mean, I think it was like part of his like respect for like the fact that he did stand up and was like, this is ridiculous essentially that we're being forced to play this way. But yeah, I'm Jim Christian does not move me um, whatsoever. Um, he's better than Steve Donahue. And that's about all I can say about old Jim. Um, and I wish they'd hire Al Skinner again, but no one asked me. <laughs> and that's, 
That is a tough job uh, in the ACC as it is. Yeah. There's a couple of them uh, now. You're so buried. There are Big East and Big Ten teams in that sort of area of the country that are just better. Uh, facilities don't even come close. Like I don't even know that there is a, a magic wand hire that just changes all no, I don't know of one either, unless they go... I, I heard, like, this... Apparently, the St. Bonaventure coach is a former, like, Al Skinner assistant, and that intrigued me some, because I really just... I miss the flex offense as well. I, I, I really enjoy that. I love anything that's, like, different um, in ACC basketball, um, because so many teams just try to run this offense where they hold on to the basketball for, like, 30 seconds, except, unlike Virginia, they have no real plan. <laughs> <laughs> when they get to the end of a shot clock, they're like, uh, ISO? Uh, long two? Don't know. We'll workshop it. And it's like, no, what? Um, looking at you, Clipson. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it's not a great job. By the way, saddest game of the, uh, regular season will be coming up, uh, at the end of the year as Miami and Boston College will, uh, close things out against one another on March 5th. Um, oh, I, man. I feel oddly compelled to watch it because I have a sickness. I, you know what? I think we ought we all ought to like ironically just watch it. Yeah, let's do okay. Let's do this. Let's make it a thing. It's on a Friday, March fifth. Come in. All right, we're doing this. I'm going to tweet it out after this too. Watch party, Miami. Boston. Yeah, we'll do it like a, like a Super Bowl. Like we'll do squares. Like we'll do the whole thing. Oh sure, yeah. We we <laughs> could do like a bingo card. Like how many times they talk about like oh X. X team really has reasons for looking up. I mean, to be fair, Miami has some. I don't know what Boston College has, but you know, that's what they pay those color guys and play-by-play guys to find out. <laughs> and we hear all about it uh, during games. There's been a lot of games this year with lots of filler material from play-by-play color guys for sure. Oh, hey, you know, I mean, Miami. They've. Uh, I know they've got all these double-digit losses, but remember that went over Duke. That was amazing. I'm sure Miami desperately would love there to be one game where they don't just like have that table of guys who are out and yeah. how many games they've missed. Because that, I mean, that, that has been consistent with them basically since that the one really nice team that they had a couple of years ago. And since then, it's just been perpetual injury issues nonstop. I'm sure Jim Larry feels cursed at some point. Yeah, seriously. It's, it's, it's bad. Ugh. Man. So that sad game is gonna happen. And then then we get to the good stuff. Well, the final two of the final games uh, of Saturday are good. One of them is a game that is happening. Let's do that one first then. Wake at Virginia Tech. Okay. Speaking of teams that were plucky and then became less so. Oh wake. Yeah, that's a that is a really great description of them because you know Louisville beat them fairly comfortably early in the season, but it was a game where I felt like they really made Louisville earn it. Uh, yeah, and you know when it's rebuilding, and and Lord knows it is rebuilding uh, there. You know when you get guys who never look like they quit, playing really hard, and even though the other team wins, say by like thirteen or whatever, but they they really had to earn it. And every time in the game where you felt like they let up at all. Wake Forest sort of answered, like, Wake Forest was that team for a lot of the year, and they seem to have very much hit the ball. Yeah. Which is what, I think that's what a true, total rebuild should look like in year one, where you yep. don't have a whole game's worth of, of concerted effort. That's why you stink and have a new coach, and it's a rebuild. But, yeah, I will say they do, they certainly try significantly harder on defense than they did under Danny Manning, but you know, the bar for that was quite low. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you ever want to listen to uh, an extended uh, discussion on that, I mean, get Connor O'Neill going on uh, the effort level under Danny Manning. <laughs> it certainly is better now, uh, but I think that the like the cycle, the, the mental part of I can't imagine uh, how difficult this college basketball season would either few or no students really on campus, no fans, uh, and then you stink. Like, I would yeah. think that, you know, by the end of the year, this is just really taxing. And it, nothing about how Lake Forest looks now is, is all that surprising to me, even though I am a huge Steve Forbes guy. Yeah, he's great. 
He's I'm great. a big believer. I think he's exactly what, what Wake Forest needs. I think he will eventually win, you know, relatively speaking, uh, there's not going to win a national championship or anything, but I think he'll be successful uh, there. But they certainly have just utterly hit the skids. Uh, yeah, they sure. really have. Virginia Tech, that's probably what they need. Yes, I was just going to say, this is exactly what Virginia Tech needs right now. You know, they were coming off their COVID pause, hadn't played in 17 days. They lose, you know, by 16 to a good Georgia Tech team. We, you know, but that was their first home ACC loss of the year. Um, This is, yeah, this is exactly what they need headed into, you know, a tougher closing stretch of the year Um, while they continue to wait for Jalen Cohn to get healthy, I guess, because he's, he was not healthy the ankle issue he was dealing with and you know, they don't have a lot of margin for error in terms of, especially without Tyrese Radford, they don't have a lot of that. So I think yeah, they'll early, be fine. <laughs> early in the year, you know, they were winning games uh, and you but it, they definitely had the feeling of uh, Virginia Tech, like they're maxed out. And as long as they are maxed out and everything goes right according to plan, they can beat anybody. And then some of this post-COVID pause, like you mentioned, injuries, Terry's Radford being gone, like things have gotten choppy for them and they're losing games and, and getting frustrated, I think. Like Georgia Tech does do that, but the way they defend and their physicality and stuff, they do it to Kentucky earlier in the year. They, they beat Florida State. Like they do that to you. And that game was like that. Like you could just tell Virginia Tech was sort of frustrated. Uh, and and, and it, it snowballed on them. And I agree with you that, Getting Wake Forest now is exactly what they need to sort of slump buster kind of thing at the end here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They'll be, they'll be fine in that game. Um, I think they're the only team, because I, I, it takes me forever to do my rankings now when I vote in the top 25, but I, I believe they might be the only team I rank that is undefeated against the top 25. 2-0. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Is that, since we're talking about them, is that your, uh, is he your ACC coach of the year? Oh, jeez. I am one of those uh, rare people, I suppose. Maybe not so rare, but I I would have no objection if you wanted to vote for him, but I would probably vote for Leonard Hamilton, to be honest with you. Um, and I, So you're, you're saying you're not one of those who automatically goes for the yeah. overachiever or, or no. who's just the guy who has everything and still does a good job? Correct. Yeah, that's that's me. I mean, you know, like for like, I'm not always that way. Like, you could have voted for Dabo this year if you wanted. I would have had no issue with it uh, in football. But you know, I thought there were some other candidates that did a very good job as well, like a Dave Doran, even a Jeff Halfley. You know, I don't think you necessarily have to win the league to get it. But I also, you know, I Florida State. I don't think people thought Florida State would do this, and they lost NBA talent coming into this year. You know, I mean. So really, Leonard kind of checks both boxes when you think about it. Oh, I, I actually, I think that this is a great test for philosophically how people vote for that award because I didn't think Virginia Tech would be anything you know, this year. And they are going to be, you know, they're a top 25 team for most of the year. They're going to make the tournament. They, they've got an identity. They look nice. And that, that higher post, a big character like Buzz Williams, has gone a lot better than I was expecting. But like you said, Leonard Hamilton, they lose multiple, you know, NBA draft pick guys, and not only are they still good again, they're getting better, you know, throughout the season. And and what they did to to Virginia teams, you know, teams don't do that. Ooh, no, no, and, they and don't. So I agree. Listen, if you want to, I, I'm totally with you. I would be, I would have no objection to either one of those guys. And that gets that that transitions us very nicely, and this is where your your radio background comes in. I think to uh, Florida State at UNC. I love this game. There are some, I've been talking about this. There are some teams that when they get together, you either know it's going to be good or you know it's going to be gross. And Florida State, Carolina isn't always competitive necessarily, especially in the Bean Dome where Florida State hasn't played as well as they obviously do in the Tucker Center. Um, You know, they play well against everyone there. But I, I, you know, and we'll get to North Carolina, believe me, but they always match up well against each other. They both want to play fast. They both, like they both are usually big teams this year, obviously no exception. They both, um, you know, they both, uh, what else am I getting at here? I am getting, but the fast tempo thing, the, they, they, they have a lot of size. They rebound. They both rebound. Well, like it, they do a lot of the same, it, they match up well in that sense. And I enjoy watching them play. 
um, usually. And I don't think this will be an exception because I think on paper, at least with what North Carolina has, you know, that th- this doesn't mean that I think North Carolina is better than FSU by any stretch. But I do think, you know, they're, they are one of the teams that played them close up in Tallahassee. I know so is Wake, but, you know, <laughs> whatever, uh, you know, that, that's I think they match up well and certainly better than a Virginia who has size, but their bigs are a little bit more of the uh, perimeter oriented type. Um, and then then like North Carolina's who will go down low and bang and get rebounds and do all that other stuff. Yeah, I think uh, I, I know what you're saying about like the combination of preferred style and personnel. Uh, they both play more traditional fours and fives as mm-hmm. everyone else sort of gravitates towards stretch fours and, and even stretch fives. You know, at times they both still play kind of a more traditional power forward uh, and, and get out and run. And Lord knows, you know, they destroyed Louisville, uh, North Carolina did uh, the other day. Uh, even factoring in the COVID pause, that, that was embarrassing. Uh, yeah. The thing with, with Florida State, though, that really just blows you away is uh, when among like the elite teams, to me, they have the least drop-off when they go to the bench of, of almost anybody in the country. You know, they play they almost – it's almost like hockey lines. Like, you know, they, they go 12, 13 deep, and there just really is never a time where you're like, okay, here's the obvious liability when they have whoever is in yep. the game. And then you compound it with, and this is where they're very different from North Carolina. Uh, they're big. They play fast. They have athletes. They're deep. All that sort of thing. They have games where they're like, oh, and we are also going to make every single three-pointer we can think. Yep. <laughs> yes. And, and that's when they are just, you know, ruthless. And that's what they did to Virginia, and they've done it to a number of teams. What, they shot 71% when they played in NC State earlier in the season? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for the game. Like, it's bonkers what they're capable of doing, and they now it's starting. I think it's starting to become part of like the Leonard Hamilton identity. Like there's a point in the game where you're like, we're about to get bowled over here. When when you play them, like this is about yep. to get out of hand. You can feel it coming, and Florida State can feel it coming too. And it just feels this feels like, especially coming on the heels of what North Carolina did last night. Ugh. Um, Dude, <laughs> okay, yeah. I See? love I love Ben Swain describing it. You know, scheduling Marquette on the fly and then losing that crappy game as waking up your sleep, your own sleeping baby. Like, I thought that was brilliant. Oh, and, wow. That is perfect. Yes. Like, you didn't have to go check on the baby, and then you woke it up when you did. Like, that's what they did. <laughs> and I, I, they feel vulnerable to me, and, and all the stuff that North Carolina is really good at, they're tr- like, offensive rebounding, so many of their missed shots are really just kind of, like, serves. Like, all right, now go get it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's like volleyball, where you, like, yes. set. It's a set yes. in volleyball for the yes. spike. And, and Florida State doesn't do that. And so, I, I don't know, this, to me, I feel like I feel a really ugly game for North Carolina. I could see that. I They just always, like, they do play well against FSU generally, even when FSU's good, and they play well against them there. Although, again, no crowd, so, like, what do you, you know, it's not right. quite the same as we all know. And I think, you know, I, usually when North Carolina's had to deal with a grumpy Roy Williams and they have the talent to be better, they usually come out better. That doesn't mean they'll win, but that could mean that we're certainly in for like a good game at least, you know? Um, I think that they'll play better, but the bar is quite low. Um, the Marquette game. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> it was a busy night here locally because state played at six thirty, Carolina played at seven and I'm like trying to do the dual zoom thing. Um, in the post game presser, I got my husband's computer working for Carolinas. I missed the beginning, but Roy's presser was really only like three minutes long because he walked off because was asked. Um, oh gosh, um, Josh Graham. Um, he's on the triad on the radio here uh, in North Carolina, and he asked him like, "What do you say to North Carolina fans who are mad about scheduling the game?" Essentially, um, and you know. Hmm. To be like the the reason some of that got prickly is partially because I'm sure in a sense Roy was mad at himself. You know, I, I think maybe he did think his own team was capable of beating Marquette and wouldn't have to worry about it. Which you know I understand, but I think some of it too is the Carolina fans part of the question because Roy has a notoriously prickly relationship at times with the fan base. <laughs> uh, you know, he's called them out before for various things and whatever. And um, anyway, he didn't take super kindly to it. But 
the thing is, the question, while a, a little clumsily worded, um, perhaps by Josh, and and you know that's okay. It happens. We've we've all been there trying to ask a question, and it's oh, hard. Oh, for sure. And, and, but and you don't want to say like, why did you do this? You know, because then yeah. it sounds like you're questioning him, and then you're going to get him to be angry. So you you do have a tendency to want to couch it in like people are saying, you know, <laughs> which is a total journalistic crutch, but it's a thing we all do um, at time to time, you know, when you don't want to upset anyone you're talking to, but you also want to ask them about something that is the way people feel. I, yeah. I mean, I think, I think maybe, you know, and Roy said, if I knew we were going to lo- lose it, I wouldn't have scheduled. <laughs> well, that was, I think that was the real problem with, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking Roy, like, do you, do you regret scheduling this game this like sort of on the fly like this? But I think the the only issue that you can really take with Josh asking that is that he said, given the outcome, and yeah. it is kind of a silly question to be like, would you yeah. have played this if you knew you were going to lose? Yeah, like if you had the right. time to see it, right? Right. No. Um, uh, it, we mentioned Joe Obvious already as a local radio host here at 99.9 The Fan. He, uh, he and I had been talking, he said, the way we phrased it, he phrased it to me in the panic room is probably the way he would have asked it. Um, is, uh, you know, is it better to have played the game and lost than to have not played the game? You know, um, I would kind of argue it's better not to have played the game. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, they didn't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'll be honest, like, I don't know what the logic, like the, the feeling that they needed that game was so, really for anything. Roy's rationale, just pure basketball coach here and not even thinking about NCAA tournament and all that stuff. I think clearly, because otherwise, why do this? There's no, there's nothing to gain from an NCAA tournament perspective. Um, and I think probably some of it was thinking like, hey, look how well we played when we had a midweek game. They have had quite a few losses coming off of layoffs of like a week or, or more. Um, and so I think he wanted to keep them you know, in a rhythm of sorts. Um, he wanted to just play. That was always his rationale. And that's kind of how he stated it. They just wanted to play. And clearly some of the teams they could reschedule, there was, there were conflicts there and everything else, you know, um, so they really couldn't do that. Um, but some of the games they had canceled earlier. So I think that's the rationale from a basketball, like just pure, like I want to play games. Perspective. Yeah. Just, yeah. And just to play, they just like to play, you know, they want to play games, but if you're trying to think about it from a, how do I get done what I want to get done, which is make the tournament. Um, maybe, uh, maybe wasn't the best idea. <laughs> but did you have any, you know, I, I understand you know, saying that now, but like, don't, I, I didn't, and never entertained that they would lose that. I didn't either to be fair, to be completely fair to Roy Williams. I didn't either. I did have an eyebrow raise moment of like, Hey, th- you know, uh, this is, this is not, not nobody. right, right, exactly. Like this is not nobody. This is not, you know, you've seen your team play enough this year. And certainly I've seen them play enough this year too. And Roy's seen more than me to know that they have the capability. And then when they play like garbage to lose to anybody. Um, so in that sense, I did have that sense of like, Hmm, you know, I don't know, but I, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't necessarily like, think that through before they played it it was just more like oh cool another filler game for them that's fun it did seem it did seem like a, a relatively strong for an on the fly matchup right right exactly and you know and actually they were supposed to play boston college on tuesday that's why they played it boston college is on a covid slash no coach pause um and <laughs> I mean, to be honest, if they'd gone up to Boston College on Tuesday night and played like they did in this game, it would have been, well, maybe, I don't know if it'd be about the same. I, actually, I think it would have been quad three if they'd lost that game. And I think this is a quad two, if I'm not mistaken. It was amazing. All that stuff matters. Right. And so, like, if they played like garbage at Boston College, maybe it actually, and lost that game, maybe they actually saved themselves. <laughs> Um, in a way, in a weird way, or they could have just not played and not, not had to sweat out the end of the year now, which they, they likely will. I think, I think after the Louisville game, it seemed like they were solidly in, um, and really didn't have a lot to worry about in terms of like, you know, I I honestly was of the opinion after the Louisville game that they could have even lost the three remaining ACC games they had and probably been okay. Um, 
you don't want to do that, but it's one of those things where it's like, eh, get one of them. That'd be nice. But, you know, you don't have to. And now they have to get certainly at least one, if not two. <laughs> because if, uh, of this. Of the two, of Duke and Carolina both, who for the majority of the year, they've either been up in the air or, or definitely not in. If you had to sort of go on the record now, would you say they both make it? One of them makes it, if so, which one? Or neither of them makes it in the tournament? I still think Duke has work to do, but the way Duke is playing right now, and that really does get us nicely into the next game as well. So again, this these flawless radio transitions, it's great. Um, uh, you know, it's Louisville at Duke, like, it's one of those things where it's just hard to imagine when they're playing like they're playing. Duke, I mean, it's tough to imagine them losing a game. And if they don't lose, then they will make it, I think. Um, I think they, the way they're playing right now. Right. Uh, as long as it, uh, the only team that I would be like, ah, they're probably going to lose that game right now. I mean, they just beat Virginia. So you, I think this is a reasonable thing. Like I would say, I wouldn't want them to have to face Florida State right now. But other than that, I would feel like they got yep. at least a, a 50-50 chance of almost anybody else in the league, including Louisville, uh, this weekend. And they're also going on the road for their final two games. So those will be like those really good win, quadrant one type, prop- yeah. type of opportunities, too. And that will help. I think North Carolina had a more built-in margin for error because they played a very tough non-conference schedule, as they they usually do that anyway. But, you know, I think in college basketball, the committee is more loath to punish you for taking bad losses in the non-con because they want to encourage you to play those types of games. So, you know, North Carolina having lost a close one to Texas, lost at Iowa, um, you know, playing uh, Sanford on a neutral court. Sanford was pretty solid. They get the win over Kentucky on a neutral court. Like those, those are pretty solid. They did. Yeah. They beat Sanford and Kentucky lost to Texas and Iowa, but that's a pretty strong non-conference slate. Um, yeah. And Kentucky's sort of charging here late. It's kind yeah. Of well, absolutely. Meaningful. Yeah. Yes. That helps you and see a ton. Um, so they, I don't, yeah, I, I think that they are loath to do that. And I am not one for conspiracy theories about like the blue bloods. But at the same time, coming after a year where the NCAA lost a ton of money, if it's close, like it's hard for me to imagine it being, it's hard for me to imagine certainly both being left out is impossible to imagine at this point for me. I don't, I don't think that's crazy at all. Uh, and, and, you know, we, after the Super Bowl ratings came out, I, we had this discussion on air uh, about, can you imagine what the NCAA tournament ratings would be like, or will be like at that point when we were saying this, if there's no Kentucky, no Duke, no North Carolina, uh, at that point, Kansas was going to sue anybody. I think that they're fine, uh, now. Like, no, no UCLA, almost nobody, less than, I don't know, Arizona, for example, should do. Yeah, I don't imagine know. That would be like, I agree with you that if there's a if there's a a good enough reason to put those teams in, they're gonna make it. Yeah, I I I just if I honestly if I had to lean, I would actually maybe lean a little towards both. I really think I would. I, and then that's kind of crazy. I didn't think I would say that about Duke. You know, after they lost to Notre Dame, you could see it on Matthew Hurt's face after the game. Like they he felt like they were done. You know, and everybody did. They were seven and eight. Like they looked, they just didn't look good, especially defensively. But they've won four in a row very easily. Uh, relative, well, the Virginia wasn't rel- wasn't very easily, but I think we all understand that was by far the best team they played in that stretch. Yeah. So, um, you know, but they won the other three very easily, and I'm intrigued by the Louisville game because that's the second best opponent they will have played in this stretch. Um, obviously they lost up there and that, I know that was a loss that stuck with them in particular because it was one of those where I think they felt like they played hard and well enough to win, but they just didn't win. You know, I mean, that happens, (laughs) but it's like, it it is one of those things where I know that was as disappointed for his own team, for his own team, not with, to be clear, as I've seen coach K after a game this year, maybe was after that. And I, I, on the other side of that game, like I remember walking away from that game thinking, like, 
you know, Duke wasn't playing well and Louisville was on this kind of roll uh, right there. And I remember thinking like, you know, Duke is, is uh, this year, Duke and, and Kentucky have been this way, Carolina and stretches this way, some other teams, like a bad team of good players. Like the challenge there is like at any time they can kind of put it together. Uh, and, and I felt like when Louisville won that game, I was encouraged by it because I felt like Duke really gave it like their best shot. They did. They did. And they had so many chances to like either tie or cut it, yeah. you know, and, and they got good looks and they just couldn't knock them down. Um, and I, look, I think this one will be interesting because, you know, Louisville won there last year. Uh, David Johnson, I, I'm pretty sure he'll be back, you know, in the lineup. He's got like a random non-COVID sickness, but he didn't oh. play. Uh, the other night, uh, but but he'll play. I'm pretty sure he'll play. Uh, and Louisville really it's such a weird year. They've had multiple yes, COVID losses. Uh, the best, like the guy that really sort of makes them go, Malik Williams, is only now back in the lineup uh, and playing. Uh, it, Charles Minlin, they brought in as a grad transfer, didn't join the lineup until just a couple of weeks uh, ago. Like they haven't been who they're going to be until literally right now. Yeah, we're. I feel like we're seeing this so much across some of college basketball, especially on teams with new pieces that like, you know, I mean, look at Duke, like it took them this long. And I know the Jalen Johnson thing. Yeah, I get it. But I think it was also everybody else sort of settling into what they were going to be like. Mark Williams was injury related why he didn't play in the beginning of the year. But, um, you know, he's made a huge difference for them as a shot blocker and an inside presence, letting Matthew Hurt play the four, which has been huge because he can't I mean. Him at the five just means he's getting into foul trouble every game, and that's the last thing Duke wants. Um, it happened at Louisville, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and he had a whale of a game uh, at Louisville, too. And so, like, this one, you talked – it's funny because you're saying that about, you know, her playing before. Like, Malik Williams being back, you know, yeah. Louisville played Notre Dame uh, the other night. Jalen Withers has been the five, an undersized five really all year. He started at the four, and, and it – he hit two threes and had an excellent game. Wow, there's so, yeah. yeah, like and he he's I think Chris Mack would love him at the four all the time because he's pretty athletic. Uh he had you know, he's a good rebounder. Uh he can shoot. He had a couple threes, you know, against Notre Dame. Like he's a nice matchup at the four. So this one is I mean, there's really not a lot to take from the game that they played against each other earlier this year. Uh except that David Johnson plays really well against Duke and he'll be back uh, for this one. Uh, but this you know, Malik Williams will be there. Uh, you know, Mark Williams is going to be a lot more effective than he was then. Uh, yeah. Jalen Johnson played in the game when they played here. He'll be gone now. And listen, I don't. It's not a reflection on the kid necessarily, but like, there's no denying they are better since he left. Yeah, Jim Beheim wasn't entirely wrong. <laughs> uh, correlation, causation. I don't care. It, the truth is, they have played better since he left. Whether it's because of him or in spite of him or whatever. Not, I'll say this: it's not his fault necessarily i think it just with what their strengths are it's not the best fit you know i mean he's a, it, it certainly is better for him to not play uh to just like take the year off than it would be for him to be getting eight minutes a game as a lottery pick that's not a good look for him or coach k <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with saying that it's not even like an insult i mean terrence clark's been out for kentucky they play a lot better He's a really good player. Like it doesn't it doesn't make him not a good player. Yeah, so. sometimes guys just don't fit. Yeah, and yeah. I, I I said this too because I remember when Nasir Little was at UNC, and I remember when it, there was a lot more of a national clamor back then, and like a national pushback against Roy Williams of like, why can't you make this guy work for you? Are you yeah. a bad coach? And I just remember thinking like, are you guys watching these games? Like <laughs> Nasir Little is like so far into his own head, like. He just, you know, and it's hard. It's a hard adjustment for some guys. It's harder for some than others. And um, that's, you know, that was really most of what that was. He was just pressing so hard and in his own head and just overthinking every single thing that he did. And Roy was trying to tweak things constantly to make him more comfortable. And eventually it worked out and he started playing way better towards the end of the year. But I remember thinking, like, why are you assuming that this is like Roy's fault? I don't understand. (laughs) Sometimes it just doesn't work for a variety of reasons. I think this game is, um, it feels very much like a coin flip. Uh, yes. To me. Uh, and, one, and, and the emergence of different people, like you mentioned, Mark Williams, for Duke. You know, for Louisville, Sam Williamson's played really nicely. I mean, he, he was the years. only one that stood out to me in a good way against UNC. <laughs> sure. And he, he has, he got benched shortly before the COVID pause. Uh, he came off the bench for two games before the COVID pause. 
And in the second, the game against Georgia Tech had 20 and 18 off the bench uh, and has in the last couple of weeks really developed a confidence as like this zone busting mid range guy. Uh, yeah. But teams have wanted to zone a little more this year because they're not a good three point shooting team at all. No, I noticed. And, and he ate Notre Dame up, you know, from the, around the free throw line. Yeah. Yeah. And if Duke will do that, Duke will Duke tried to zone Louisville a little bit in the first matchup and they hit a couple threes to start uh, and they got out of it kind of quickly. And if they do that, so I do think they have more confidence in him in that role as like a zone busting guy than they did earlier in the year. And that's something to watch out for. They may do some of that. Um, but Duke has kind of tweaked their man to the point where they're switching everything. Mm-hmm. And so far it's worked. Um, so that part will certainly be interesting too. Because, you know, other than like a Florida State or a North Carolina, there's not a team they're going to play with better size. Yeah. Um, you know, NC State has two very effective bigs. So that's, you know, maybe the closest thing. But they don't have as – they've got the two and that's it. You know, and Manny Bates and, and DJ Funderburg. They don't have, um, you know, like three, four or five guys even that can you – know. right. So it'll be interesting to see because Duke is uh, – you know, they, they don't have a ton of depth in terms of their size. So I'll be curious to see how it goes. It'll be interesting because I'm super curious to see if, like, if like War Machine Duke uh, continues to be a thing. Well, and, you know, Louisville, same thing. You know, I think that it's been their job from the moment that the Carolina game went final to sort of show that that was some sort of anomaly. Uh, and the Notre Dame game was a nice start because I think Notre Dame has played nicely, like, you know, beat Duke, others. Like, they've played better in the second half of the year. Uh, I think people will think more of that Carolina game as an outlier if they take care of business here. Well, These good, next two are, are pretty big. Good Lord, man. Like, that was just insane. I was like, what is happening right now? Why is this continuing to happen? Like, I know they were coming off the pause, but yeah, that was, that was insane. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, you hear coaches that like he let his offense impact his defense, uh, and it felt like the whole program was really irritated that the, they didn't get to play the Syracuse game before because of COVID, like a surprise kind of COVID issue with one player. Yeah, and it felt like they let the frustration of that game not happening just wreck like the whole week. And so, like, the I'm not writing the whole game off to the COVID pause. I think they pouted almost the entire oh, game afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, the, so the Carolina game was a nightmare uh, for them. Oh. It was a bad physical mismatch, the style of play after you haven't played. It was on the road. They were mad. Uh, and it was a complete uh, disaster. And that, that's, that's the albatross around Louisville's neck now. They've had two COVID pauses, and they lost by 82 points. Yeah, and that's their two worst offensive efficiencies of the year by far. Yeah. I don't even know if that co- Chris Mack video had come out yet, but I think it came out like the next day. So it was not. It came out night. Oh boy, Chris Mack had to be like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a, a political, like dirty trick. Right? Like, wow. Oh, and I mean, look, we've dealt with our share of mass controversies around here. Um, seemed like this one was le- a little less of a thing, and he owned it and said, "Like, I screwed up," and good, good for him because that was just kind of that. You know? Well, the funny thing about it is, like, one, anytime you trash talk Kentucky, like it was actually pretty endearing to, to Louisville fans, you know, for him and Eric Wood to be in that. But, you know, Matt gets tested every day. Eric Wood gets tested every day for the ACC network, you know, as he's traveling and, and covering games, too. And they are literally neighbors. I think they felt like it was safe. But I did appreciate him acknowledging the uh, like the public ambassador part of following yeah. COVID protocols, I think, was the right thing uh, for him to do. Uh, and I'm glad I'm glad it happened. It's been a nice little injection of life into this. Uh, the rivalry been way too one sided. Between him giving Cal a hard time about when they were going to play the oh, game, oh yeah, I love that this year and this like it, and then they won. Oh, why hasn't held up its end of the bargain in that rivalry? So they won this year. It's been it's it feels like it's getting up off the table. Yeah, it's been fun, and and he's 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 been embracing that part of it, and that's that's been a good thing. And yeah, I'm I'm super interested to see this game for sure. I I would be remiss if I don't talk about the Sunday game, partially because I have forgotten it more than once already during this podcast, during my recordings of this podcast, but also because it's Pitt at NC State. 
Pitt's big storyline is Xavier Johnson suddenly deciding to transfer and not play the remainder of the year. I hate this for Jeff Capel. I feel like they've made a lot of progress. I feel like they are noticeably better than they were a year ago. But that's that's well, not great. Uh, Tony today also did the same thing. He did? I missed that. Like that just happened within an hour. No. What's going on? Let's, I mean, it's... I've never seen like big picture with a global macro sort of self-inflicted demolition than what Pitt's really done from Jamie Dixon forward, you know, and, and it's, yep. uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, Luke talks about this, like the coaches have got to sort of adjust to whatever it is they're doing that makes this is a tougher yeah. year mentally. And I feel like maybe Capel's been a little heavy handed. in a- But it's weird because Capel's talked a lot about how like, he gets that so much and that he understands that. And that maybe I think, you know what? I, I almost wonder if maybe his own feelings about playing has, has trickled down a bit. Because- I, think, I think that's very, that, I Luke would agree with you. That's something he's brought up. Like if coaches, if you, the coaches who sound and look like they have reservations about this, it's probably very, very difficult, if not impossible to keep that from bleeding over. Yeah. And I know Cable got it and got pretty sick. So I get it. Like, you don't want that to happen to your players. And it's been a frustrating, you know, end of the year for them after a really good start. I still love Justin Champagny very much. Um, But this sucks and it's depressing. And um, now you have a state team that is, I'm so proud of state. Like, I, I, I'm sure I know, I I know you feel the same way. I think I love Kevin Keith as a, as a human being. Um, He's just wonderful. And, and, he has I, I'm not saying he's coached the year or anything because he's not I'm not saying that but like I you could make the case to me or I could make the case I think this is his best coaching job at NC State like yeah I think the only I guess what the dissatisfaction would be like you hate that it's this kind of coaching job this far into him being there yeah I agree and I thought last night like they were fearless against Virginia it was really yes. That's a really difficult team to play against. I know Virginia seemed kind of flat in a lot of ways, but like they also played them well at NC State. And they mm-hmm. just, you know, when Devin Daniels got hurt against Wake, they had lost four in a row leading into that. They had every reason to just be done, you know? And and the players, I, I'll never forget this, because after the game, like we in the media were more like sorry for them than they were. Like we were like, basically like, are you guys okay? And, and all of them were like, you know, we love that. We love Devin and like we don't like this, but we are fine. Like we're just going to keep playing basketball and trying to win games. And that's exactly what they've done. I mean, other than the Duke game, they have been close against everybody they've played or won. I mean, they've won four of six now, um, three in a row. They've won four straight ACC road games for the first time in a season since 1974. Oh, that's yeah. unreal. Yeah. Like wow. that's pretty unreal. I, and for them to lose their best player and best scorer and, and, play as hard and as as tough as they've played i i just i've been super impressed with them just as uh, the kids and then obviously kevin just sort of relentlessly positive and trying to keep them upbeat um joking around he's coaching us about what questions to ask guys um, <laughs> joking around about how dj funderburg has an absurdly low assist rate um well he doesn't say assist rate i do um <laughs> dj funderburg Routinely, he, his yeah. his 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 assist rate is actually up to one point five. It was a point six a few like a week ago. <laughs> He's like, because Manny Bates had three assists last night. And he goes, "Wow, that's more than DJ's had in two years, probably." It's not, but it's not <laughs> that far off. Um, but yeah, like he's just, it's nice to see them happy again and smiling and just enjoying this season that's been really difficult. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's the year five thing I think has frustrated some state fans, but Alec Lower over at Backing the Pack actually wrote a really good piece giving that some context. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, really, they probably did better than they should have in the first couple of years anyway. Um, and, you know, losing Markel Johnson meant they had no answer at point guard. So you were faced with the dilemma of do you play Braxton Beverly there? Do you play your freshman there and hope for the best? And as we've seen, it's taken freshmen a while to adjust, you know? Um, and they're no different. And now they really don't have a choice because Braxton's body doesn't like him. And so they're having to play those guys more and and they're coming around, but it took time. It was always going to. And so I've, I've just been 
you know, they're, he's playing the two bigs together more now, which he wasn't doing earlier. And I've been really impressed with them. Um, and kudos to them. I, I think they should win, but like you said, who knows? <laughs> well, Pitt seems in kind of free fall too. So yep. they, it, this is not a bad team uh, for them to have to face uh, right now. And there's one thing I know about Kevin Keyes, like he's super comfortable in his own skin. Uh, and, and I think he'll never appear panicky. So sort of, you know, uh, navigating some of the things you were just talking about, losing your best score to injury and that sort of thing, struggling through a COVID year, like you're just never going to see it in, in his demeanor. And you haven't. And I think that they've sort of been better for that. Yeah, I loved that uh, Jordan Cornette last night on the ACC Network broadcast was referencing the fact that uh, um, Keats was wearing loafers with no socks and how stylish he looked, his shoes looked. And he was almost kind of sad that we may never see again, like, Kevin Keats in a, in a suit and some Gucci shoes, you know. Oh, he'll find a place to wear. I promise you. That. He really will. He really, really will. And love Jordan Cornette, by the way. He's super fun. Um, I'm and a huge he, fan. Of I, I I have not been shouted out on air before that I remember in a, during a broadcast of a game. Uh, <laughs> but I was when uh, I had questioned the fact that he eats one meal a day because I don't know how how he does that. He's but, a better man than I am. I, I heard that too. I would be, you would not want to be around me. If that I'd was. be grumpy. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, let me get you out of here. Tell people where to find you and I'll get you out. Yeah. Uh, we're on uh, three to six. So we're going to go on the air in just a few minutes after yeah. recording this three to six here, 90 through nine, the bill here in Louisville. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark Ennis and uh, Lauren, anytime, anytime. Enjoyed it. He's a must follow for ACC folks. Uh, all right. Until next week, everybody. Bye.